It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. This is the 49ers web zone. No Huddle Podcast, part of the Odyssey family. I'm Al Sacco with Zane Nafi and with producer extraordinaire Brian Rennick. Uh, we can't get enough of what Brian's doing on the side, so we talked about it a couple episodes ago that he was working with um, on a project with Mark Adams, right? Did I say the name yeah. right? Yeah. Mark Adams uh, about a podcast on Roger Craig and getting him into the Hall of Fame and why he should be in there. And they've interviewed Ronnie Lott. They have a lot of real cool people that they're going to be interviewing. And, and today, I mean, it doesn't get – there's only a couple guys that I think could get much better than this. My man got to uh, sit in and help produce on this with Steve Young today. And Brian, yeah. just how cool is that when you're talking to these guys? You know, honestly, it's like, I just, it's just like, I've taken screenshots just because it's like, I'm there. And it just, I just have this shit eating grin on my face. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't even know. I'm just smiling like ear to ear. I've never, like, haven't smiled bigger in I don't know how long. So it's been, it's been really cool. Uh, you know, Steve was, was kind enough to give us some of his time. And, you know, we, we got about it was a little less than 15 minutes with him. Um, but it was, it was awesome. And it was just a really cool, uh, opportunity to hear, you know, a guy who is just an absolute legend in the franchise and a legend in the NFL, you know, let's, let's be honest, you know, he's, he's one of the, you know, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the position, uh, very unique quarterback, uh, a lefty, right. We don't see many of those, uh, especially anymore. Um, you know, we get them every, every once in a while, but, for the most part, you know, they don't, they don't come around too often. And so it was, it was awesome to hear him not only talk about Roger, uh, but really kind of talk about what, you know, what the hall of fame means to, to these players, because that's one of the questions that, that Mark is asking, especially the, uh, the players that played with Roger and those that are in, in the hall already is, you know, what is it, what does it mean to make it into the hall of fames for you and then how do you, you know, what, how important do you think that will be to Roger? And, and it was interesting because Steve, you know, Steve kind of went into this. I, I don't know that he was ready for the question. Cause he kind of just like Ronnie, Ronnie kind of was taken aback by the question. And then the interesting thing about Ronnie is he got a little bit of a, emo- a little bit emotional when he started talking about it. And you could just see how important it was to him for Roger to get this honor. And, and for Steve, it was like, Oh man, like I haven't really thought of that. And then he kind of went into this whole thing. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot with Roger Craig is he was the first player ever to have a thousand rushing yards and a thousand receiving yards in a season. And, and, you know, largely, I think that is to me, one of the most compelling arguments for his, uh, for his enshrinement in Canton is that he was the first to do it. And not only that, there's only been two other guys that have done it since then. One of them is in the hall of fame. And one of them is playing currently on the San Francisco 49ers, and that's mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey. And so it's been Craig, Marshall Falk, and Christian McCaffrey. That's it. That's the list. It's just three. And one of them is already in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, it was interesting. The thing that Steve talked about was when you're the first to do something, sometimes the league kind of pushes back against it a little bit. Um, you know, when Roger came into the NFL, it, it was a it was a power league, right? It was an eye formation, mm-hmm. eye back, you know, power, you know, power running game. And all of a sudden, this 
you know, these hoity toity left coasters in San Francisco started putting, you know, uh, a little bit of finesse into, into their football and, and, and people kind of push back against it. And he talked actually about his own experience, you know, being not only a lefty, but a lefty scrambler, which was something that wasn't really anywhere in the NFL and how he, he really was disliked in Tampa Bay by the fans and largely by the team, just by who he was. And that it's interesting. Now the league has come, he said, the league has come to him now. Uh, meaning that, you know, you look at the, you look at the quarterbacks who are highly or largely successful and they are quarterbacks that remind us a lot of Steve Young, right? Those that uh, are incredible pocket passers, but do have the ability to get out on the run, to scramble, to keep plays alive, things like that. He brought up Patrick Mahomes. He brought up uh, Josh Allen. He brought up mm-hmm. um, uh, Lamar Jackson, right? Not again, necessarily comparing them to him, right? Lamar Jackson is a much better athlete than Steve was. And I think he would freely admit that. But it, the interesting thing to me is that he brought this up and it really fits into this uh, quarterback situation that we currently have in San Francisco, right? I mean, I, Al, you and I were talking prior to recording and, and I was saying, if you look at the three quarterbacks that are, that are going to make up this quarterback room, being Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, and uh, Sam Darnold. You know, which one do you think would fit that mold that Steve's talking about, or even that mold of Mahomes, Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, things like that? And and to me, that still is Trey Lance in terms of traits and abilities. Um, I don't think Trey has the accuracy that Steve had, and that's one of the things that you and I brought up. But... It, it really does feel like we're on this precipice here where we know that Brock played really, really well, but he's coming off this, this elbow injury and he does not have the same physical tools that Trey has. He's got a lot of the intangibles and sometimes you can't measure that, but you know, I I've asked this question on this podcast before is this um, you know, is this elbow injury possibly a blessing in disguise for the 49ers in that they will finally get an opportunity as long as he stays healthy. And there's the big caveat to see what they have in Trey Lance, because if Purdy didn't get injured and they still lose that game or they make it to the Super Bowl or they win the Super Bowl, Brock Purdy is the unquestioned QB one. It just, there's no question about it, but this injury changes things. And so, you know, it's interesting, like I said, to have, to hear a legend, that played for the team that is currently in this quarterback situation to talk about how the league has come more to him and, and where the 49ers are in terms of having quarterbacks that are similar to Steve young. And make the mistake, Steve young, when his day, he was arguably the, the greatest athlete playing quarterback in his time. Yeah. You could say Randall mm-hmm. Cunningham is a very close second, if not right there with him, but Steve mm-hmm. Young was unbelievable. And for those of you who haven't had a chance to see him play, like we all saw, we all grew up watching Steve and Joe both, right? And I think that yep. a lot of people felt a certain way about Steve because who he replaced and, mm-hmm. you know, who, 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 was, who was before him. And I think that, that, that it's funny that that animosity between Joe and Steve and between Joe and the team kind of still resonates today, I, I think a little bit as well, from at least from Joe's side. But Steve Young, 
Look, I, I, I categorize him this way. I felt like Joe Montana is, is, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of all time, right? And, and some people will still believe that, but some people will say Brady. But in terms of likability, in terms of the face of the franchise, in terms of who you want as an ambassador to your team, to your city, to, to all of that, as ambassador uh, to, to other people from, from your team in your city, Steve Young is that guy. He's well-spoken. He's in, off the charts and tells the guy passed the California bar exam. He's a lawyer. And he's, he was such a cerebral quarterback. And I think that that combination of the physical ability plus the ability to be so cerebral as a, as a player at the most important position of the sport made him that successful because he understood that, hey, in order to extend my career and to be as effective as possible, I can't just pull it down every time and run. I have to be able to throw from the pocket. And in his younger years, he would just take off and run with it, and you'd see all those exciting plays, like the famous run against Minnesota, which was which was the open of our show for so long, right? For years, yeah. And and you you see those those wow plays from Steve Young early in his career, but he was a much more cerebral quarterback towards the end of his career. And the the evidence of how good Steve Young was and what he meant to this franchise, it is shown after he left the team because. As soon as he left, this franchise went down the toilet until Jeff Garcia got his footing underneath him and, and was able to be the next guy. As yeah. soon as Steve Young got injured and yep. eventually retired, this, this franchise went into the tank for several years. And I think that that's a testament to how great Steve Young was. He's one of my favorite all-time players like ever in any sport and my favorite left-handed player, obviously. But just what he brought to, to the... I know, I know I'm going long here, but the, the 94 team, if you've ever watched America's game, Steve Young is one of the people that's, that's speaking on that team for that, that documentary. And he talked about that 40 day eight Eagles game and how he yelled at George Seifert. And now mm -hmm. all of a sudden his team wanted to fo follow him. He was his fiery leader. And that's all it took really to get them to really believe in him. And everybody on that team on that 94 team will say that that was Steve Young's team. That was his team. That was his show. He was the biggest reason why they won. Not Dion. It was Steve Young. That's why they won the Super Bowl that year. And I still believe yeah. that to this day. You, you know what's interesting, too, about Young? We talked a few shows ago about Montana and Brady. And those guys are, are known as the two best ever, as, as they should be, because of the whole picture, because playoffs and regular season and everything. But you could make the argument to me that Sunday to Sunday, down to down, Peyton Manning may be the best regular season quarterback of all time. I, I think that's a fair – I think you can make that argument. You could also maybe say Steve Young needs to be in the conversation in terms of regular season. And if you look at, it's not always all about stats, but statistically, well, he won too. So he did both during the regular season. They had an amazing winning percentage and it was about the stats, I guess. Statistically, what he did from 1991 through 1998, if you're listening to the show right now, go on Pro Football Reference and look up Steve Young and look at what he did in the league during that time. And I'll, I'll give some of the highlights. He led the league, so this is eight seasons, 91 through 98. He led the league in yards per attempt five times. And listen to these numbers. Yards per attempt, nine, 8.6, 8.7, 8.6, 8.5. Mahomes, for comparison, lead has an 8.1 career, and he's been, you know, tops are right there since he's been in the league. Peyton Manning has had a yards per attempt of eight yards or more four times in his entire career. Brady three young did it five times all over eight unbelievable interception percentage he led the league twice touchdown percentage he led the league three times 
TDs, he led the league four times, 25, 29, 35, 36 when he led. Those are huge numbers for back then. We talked about his accuracy, completion percentage. He led the league in 92, 66.7%. Then he led the league four years in a row. 90, 94, 70.3%. 95, 66.9, 96, and 97, both 67.7. That's insane for that time period. What he did was absolutely crazy. He led the league in yards per game twice. He led the league in quarterback rating one, two, three, four, five, six times in those eight years. He was MVP twice. He was Offensive Player of the Year. I Again, I challenge you to go back and look at anybody's eight-year run and see if they were more dominant than Steve Young was in those eight years. It's crazy. Now, where his detractors would come in is the one Super Bowl, and there could have been more. There, there could have been more championships. There were more NFC championship games that maybe they could have won. But he, listen, Super Bowls are not easy. Montana and Brady and now what Mahomes are doing that is not the norm. If you look at a lot of these great quarterbacks, they have one, maybe two. Peyton's got two. Elway got two later in his career. Rodgers has one. Breeze has one. A lot of these guys just Breno didn't have any. So it's you were 49er fan. You grew up with Montana and he wins four championships from 81 through 89. You're going to, you're going to judge things by championships, but young did get it done one year and won won the title. But what he did in the regular season, I think it stands up with anybody. It's amazing. And have you, have you guys read his book? Part of it, part of it. Yeah. Uh, the things it, he had to deal with. Yeah. With the yeah. So it's, yeah. I've yeah. read it twice. I think it's amazing. Like the anxiety that he has. And again, if you, if you haven't read it, read it. He would like to the point of like throwing up and shaking and he had major anxiety. He had to see a therapist. He really dealt with some stuff growing up and even into his play, playing career. And it's, it's amazing. He was able to do what he did also dealing with that. He's an amazing person. He was an amazing quarterback. Yeah. You, Zane, you, also, you mentioned really that he's passed. I was say, you mentioned yeah, that he passed so, yeah. the bar and is a lawyer. He, he went to law school while playing for the San Francisco 49ers. That's the mm-hmm. other thing. He went to law school while playing and passed the bar. That's just bonkers. A couple, couple other stats as well. Um, so Steve Young set the league record for completion percentage in 1994 at the time at 70.3%. So that's that's an absurd number. Also set the league record for passer rating in the, in this, in the season at 112.8. So both of those records at the time were were set by Steve Young. And the efficiency with which he operated the offense specifically after Mike Shanahan was able to make him more of a pocket passer because those two MVP years, he was running around making plays. Like the, one of my favorite Steve Young plays is when he threw the pass, uh, they're playing candlestick against the Falcons through a pass near the goal line. They tipped it up. He caught it himself and ended up getting a, like a three yard gain out of it. Like just, it was just like the the most Steve Young play ever because it was so chaotic, but also like under control. It's just when he got to learn to throw from the pocket, and, and really honed that skill, he really took his game to the next level to basically like a Hall of Fame level and was able to elevate the rest of the team. Remember, the year after the Super Bowl in 1995, they had Derek LaVille at, at, at running back. They had no running game. Steve Young was the second leading rusher on the team, and he was constantly hurt because he was having to run the ball. But 95, 96, they had no running game. 96, they had Terry Kirby. 97, they finally got Garrison Hurst, and he got his 1,000-yard rusher. But for two years after the Super Bowl win, he was very largely carrying the load for that team. And the number one reason why they were in contention both of those years. And it's just, it was such a pleasure to watch him. He was, he was one of my favorite players to watch growing up and, and just such a great guy and such a great dude. And, and you can't say that about everybody. 
Yeah, speaking of, again, impressive accomplishments, uh, from 92 through 98, uh, so seven straight years, he was a pro bowler. Um, mm -hmm. And then in 92, he was the MVP. In 93, he was the runner-up for MVP. And then in 94, he was MVP again. Uh, and then he had three straight years, 92 through 94, where he was a first-team All-Pro. 95, he was a second-team All-Pro. Uh, 97, he was fourth in MVP voting and a second-team All-Pro. And then in 98, he was uh, fourth in Offensive Player of the Year and a second-team All-Pro. So, again, an All-Pro in one, two, three, four, five, six, six out of seven years from 92 to 98. So, again, just a, a stretch of dominance at the quarterback position that is just incredible. And he had 43 rushing touchdowns. That's crazy. 43 rushing touchdowns from, from the quarterback position. Unreal, unreal athlete. Yeah, yeah. And the Niners, the Niners were overall with him when he started 91 and 33 overall. I mean, they were just a juggernaut. He was he was he was an amazing player. Amazing player. You know, Zane, you brought something up about um when they moved on from Ricky Waters. And there's an article on, on 49erswebzone.com. Um, that's written by, by Mark Adams that um, we were talking about earlier too. And we thought this would be a cool thing to go over. This is the 10, the 10 biggest mistake, the 10 worst decisions in 49ers history. So I haven't read the article. Um, I glanced at it, but I figure we can just go through these 10 things off the cuff and just re re react to them. Cause I thought I looked at what the 10 things were and they're, they're pretty cool. So haven't read what he said about it specifically, but I think that we can definitely have a lot to say about it. So the first five are five decisions that he says likely cost the team a championship. So number one, he is trading Charles Haley to Dallas, which may indeed be the worst. What the hell are you doing trade in the history of the franchise? God forbid if Twitter was around that. <laughs> yep. But yeah, you're trading your best pass rusher to your division rival. I'm sorry, your conference rival. And um, it did not work out well for the Niners. It worked out great for the Cowboys. It did not work out well for the Niners. I always felt like getting Ken Norton was like, again, not not anywhere near the level, but at least it was like, ha, ha like this is this is for this is for Charles Haley. <laughs> but it's just like, man, yeah, I don't. Uh, again, the, I I just don't understand trading a player of that caliber to a rival. It just never it never makes sense. It never made sense then. And uh, again, anytime that you trade away a Hall of Famer. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. And I think that Charles Haley had the well-documented problems with the team and locker room and bipolar disorder and, and things like that, that prevented him from really making a bigger impact with the team than he really did. And unfortunately it was one of those things where remember Al, we had Dexter Carter on just several yeah. years oh, ago. Yeah. And he told, yeah. he told the Charles Haley, Haley story where Charles Haley messed with Jerry Rice. And that was the last, that was the last straw where, messing with Jerry Rice you don't you don't mess with him he didn't say what he did but he messed with them and and that was basically it and and that's after that they they traded him but if you got a guy like that send him to New England send him to Cleveland yeah. you don't put him in your in your same conference so the the Ken Norton thing yeah I, I agree with that like they they nipped him back a little bit and Steve Steve Young in that in America's game talked about that as well right where they they got Ken Norton and nipped him back um funny story a, a Ken Norton story I ran into him in an elevator uh probably 2012 I think and he was a linebackers coach with the Seahawks. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Ken Norton. And and uh, asked to see his Super Bowl ring. He still had his Super Bowl ring. He put it on his pinky. His, his Niners Super Bowl <laughs> ring, he's still wearing it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. 
I love it. All right. The number two thing that he says here, and this is what we alluded to earlier, not re-signing Deion Sanders and Ricky Waters after the 1994 season. Now, Sanders speaks for himself, although I don't even I was too young. I don't really remember what the specifics were of why Deion left. Um, do you guys I don't even I don't know if it was a contract I thing. I don't even what was it? Well, he was only they only it? signed him to a one year deal. To one year, yeah. In 94. But, yeah. It was just a one year deal. So I I was even younger, I think, Al, but I I vividly remember this because um, uh, I I wanted Dion to stay because he he lived like near one of my friend's houses. So we used to like try to stop his house when I was like 10 years old. But (laughs) I was like, maybe maybe he'll stay and be able to go to his house. But um, but he stayed he he left because Dallas offered him more money uh, with a longer term deal, because this was the, the first year in the salary cap that the Niners had in 1994. And they were already over the cap. They were they were violating that, right? So Eddie, Eddie D had to pay a violation for that for bringing Dion in, and they had no money left to give him, uh, and and they weren't able to offer him anything to to be able to stay. Why they didn't at least try to pitch an offer, I don't know. Maybe you know, you know why? Because Parag was too young. That's why there was no Parag in the picture. They couldn't <laughs> get it done. Parag would have got it done, right? <laughs> and then Ricky Waters too. You mentioned they they never replaced him, and he yeah. he was a, he was a monster for them. And, he led the team in rushing at 877 yards in 94. He caught 66 passes for 719 yards. And he was a monster in the playoffs. Waters had some huge playoff games for them. He had five touchdowns in one game in 1993. He scored 10 total touchdowns for them in, in three playoff seasons and obviously the three in the Super Bowl. And they never did. They never replaced him. And, and you had guys, you know, it was Garner and Lavelle and you know, people they brought in. And they just they, they could not replace Ricky Waters and that he ended up going on to have what I think is a hall of fame career. He had some monster seasons in Philadelphia and in Seattle after he left San Francisco waters. Waters is another one that if, you know, if you look at his numbers, you're like, Oh, how is he not in the hall of fame? He had an absolutely fantastic career. 10,643 yards. He caught 467 passes, uh, almost 15,000 yards from scrimmage, uh, 91 total touchdowns. He, 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 he was a beast of a player. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were, we started the show talking about, you know, Roger Craig and, and Ricky Rodgers was very much in the vein of Roger Craig, Roger Craig, you know, coming out of Notre Dame, he was a, a receiving back, which again, was not necessarily um, something that, that teams were a looking for or, or, or B, um, you know, utilizing to the level that uh, Mike Shanahan was able to. And, and again, you look at, you look at his son now, right? When did his offense take off to heights that we haven't seen yet? When he got Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, Ricky Waters very much to Mike Shanahan is what Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan now. And, you know, you look at that that historic offense in 94, and, and Waters was a large, large part of it. And you look at that ass kicking in the Super Bowl that they gave to the Chargers, and again, Ricky Waters was a large part of that. And so for them to not even attempt to resign him, Again, like you said, Zane, I, I think it probably had more to do with with salary cap issues than anything else. Um, you know, the the era of whoever has the deepest pockets is going to have the best team went away. You know, when that salary cap was instituted, and you know, Eddie DeBartolo had no problem spending as much money as possible to bring home a Lombardi. And then when when that you know when that ability went away, you know, well, we know what happened, and it's we've been waiting what almost 30 years now um it's 2023 and that was the 94 season so uh woof <laughs> yeah I, i'll really quickly say yeah uh, i'm ditto on the ricky waters thing like i think that that was the bigger loss just because remember 
Pete Carroll came in and made that number one defense the next year, right? Tyrone Drakeford came into the starting lineup, had five picks. Uh, Eric Davis had, was an all pro that year in 95. And they got Marquez Pope, who turned out to be a really good find as well. So I think that they were able to like not maybe replace the, the, the presence of Dion, but get similar production out of a number of guys. And they were able to be the number one defense despite that. So they were really missing a running game. Derek Laville was terrible. He's also a terrible person. He's locked up in jail right now. So uh, they, they really needed to bring you watch back that year. Zane, your 90s knowledge is like I was just point. about to say that, Al. Holy I was like, shit. the off-the-dome 94-95 49ers knowledge is He's like freaking top-notch, man. Holy book, dude. I'm like, Holy I don't know what cow. happened with Dion. I don't remember. I was in high school. I have no idea. Zane's like, well, let me tell you what happened in December of 1993. <laughs> and, dude, very impressive. impressive. I mean, Unbelievable. I used to unbelievable. I used to study this all the time. All the time. I, used to, I I knew that 49ers roster front and back, like when I was a kid. I used to watch, so I used to read like the sporting report before school every day. I didn't used to read comics or anything like that. I used to watch like old Niners games. I just put them on tape and watch them as a kid. That was my fun. Awesome. I love it. I'll never say it. you can't read again now. I just know you're not paying attention to us. So <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. All right. Number three, drafting Solomon Thomas instead of Patrick Mahomes. Uh you know, like we talked about, the Niners kind of showed us who we were, that they wanted to build around the defensive line. But they've ended up – well, I guess they haven't ended up in the best spot because they're still looking for a quarterback. But they ended up with a really good team. But, yeah, they haven't exactly handled the QB decisions very well. And it, it did start with the first one where they had Mahomes and Watson there too and they needed a QB. And we didn't know Watson you know, was a dirtbag yet. So coming out of the draft, he looked like he, he was going to be a stud and, and they passed on him. and you know, the rest is history, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess when it, you're looking at Pat Mahomes, I guess you could say it was a, it was a bad decision. One of the worst decisions of all time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. You're able to say it's a bad decision with the benefit of hindsight, right? Like yeah. it, at the time it made all the sense in the world because again, this team was de- bereft of talent. Just, there was nothing here. And so, you know, if you bring a rookie quarterback in to a team that just is not ready to compete, it, it doesn't tend to go well. And and I, you know, if you, I have faith that Kyle Shanahan probably could have made it work. But, um, you know, the other thing that that I think people forget is that Patrick Mahomes wasn't even the first quarterback drafted in that draft, right? Mm-hmm. That went to one Mitchell Trubisky. Don't call me Mitch, right? And so you know, as much as the Solomon Thomas pick hurts, let's not forget that the bears traded up one spot so that they could get Mitchell Trubisky. And then the 49ers ended up with Solomon Thomas, but you know, it, it, that was a tough draft. Um, I will never forgive chip Kelly for that draft because he's the reason why uh, they weren't the number one pick because they won that meaningless, stupid ass last game of the season if they'd have lost that game, they'd have had the first pick and miles Garrett would have been a 49er. So I don't blame the 49ers for Solomon Thomas. I blame chip Kelly. I would argue to say that 2005 was worse and passing on Aaron Rodgers was worse because yeah, you knew Aaron Rodgers. In here. It's not, it's not in there. And you knew Aaron Rodgers was going to be good and you knew he was a player and he was in our backyard here in the Bay area. And there is no excuse for Mike Nolan not to scout the shit out of that and be like, you know what? That's the guy that I want. And they went with Alex Smith, who had, who had a fantastic career in college as well, right? He had a good career too, but he was far less 
polished than Aaron Rodgers was. And you don't have the benefit of, of now, like we know that you don't throw a quarterback into a team with a terrible roster. Things were different back in 2005, right? There were teams were regularly doing this where they would draft a guy, put him onto a terrible roster. And sometimes it would work out. Sometimes it wouldn't, but I would argue that them passing on Aaron Rodgers was worse than them passing on Patrick Mahomes because that altered the franchise's course for many, many years to come. Aaron Rodgers would probably still be playing here today with a couple more Super Bowl rings if they had drafted him. I mean, who knows, though, because they, they went through seven coordinators in seven years, right? So after, after mm-hmm. Alex Smith got drafted. So who really knows? But that, to me, is more egregious than Patrick Mahomes not, not being drafted here. That's such a great point. That's such a great point. Mike Nolan used to drive me crazy, crazy. Yeah. Never was never was a fan of his. And and the and the the justification that they gave, or at least that came out about, you know, essentially that Aaron Rodgers' personality just didn't mesh with Mike Nolan. And so they went with mm-hmm. Alex Smith. And it's like, well, yeah, Alex Smith was a 21-year-old kid, right? Like yep. he was young, you know, he was very young. He was Trey Lance young when they got drafted. And so, you know, it, it it's like really like just because you know you didn't like the way that that Rodgers carried himself and it's cuz Rodgers carries himself with some cockiness he's cocky and, hey he's cocky. if yeah. if i was yeah. that good i'd be cocky as shit as well right i want so, my quarterback to be I, cocky yeah i don't want to be yeah, an absolutely. asshole i want to be cocky yeah yes yeah. yeah for yeah. sure and then number 4 goes back to the hindsight thing and it's not signing brady after the 2019 season and again i remember i thought brady was cooked i was wrong was really wrong. We all were who thought that I, I thought, look, Jimmy's just scratching the surface. He's going to get better. He was coming off an ACL. I thought he had a good season overall coming off the injury. I thought it was the right move. And well, I, I was wrong. You know, it's funny. It feels like Jimmy Garoppolo will forever be QB two to Tom Brady. Cause he was QB two to Tom Brady in new England. And then he, you could argue he became QB two to Tom Brady in San Francisco. And now he's QB two to Tom Brady in Las Vegas. Cause there's no way Vegas, their first, you know, their, their, their first priority in, in, uh, in free agency this year was to get Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I promise you that mm-hmm. Tom Brady was the apple of their eye before he retired. So it's just like Jimmy Garoppolo just lives in Tom Brady's shadow. <laughs> Yeah. And it was, it was such a tough time because it's like, he, he had a, a terrible fourth quarter of that Super Bowl again to this, to this point now, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but it was the lowest quarterback rating in the history of the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. And he, he was again, not showing that he could stay healthy. He came off that ACL and really we kind of started to see what he could do over the course of the full season. He was not like a guy that can carry, carry the team. And there were a lot of questions and it's just a shame it's a damn shame to me that neither Aaron Rodgers nor Tom Brady spent a day in a 49ers uniform as an NFL player after spending many days in a 49ers uniform as children wanting yeah. to play here and be here. It is a damn yeah. shame and a travesty that neither of those two quarterbacks played here. Josh Allen, too. Moral of the story, if the quarterback grows up a Niners fan, you draft him. End of story. Yes. Number five, number five is letting Kyle Williams return punts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what the alternatives were, but this is, I always talk about the 2011 was awful for me. And I'll never forget. I was sitting in a bar 
I was with, you know, obviously I live in New York, New York so I, around a bunch of Giants fans. And like, I remember I had a Patrick Willis jersey on and like, that was like in the height of like my Niner fandom. And I just remember sitting in a chair in a corner next to one of the smallest TVs in the bar, like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> like it was awful, dude. It got so bad for me mentally. Like my oh. Facebook profile was a picture of Kyle Williams and I found a picture where somebody uh, put a Super Bowl trophy by his photoshopped a Super Bowl trophy by his knees. Oh, so it like he was kicking the, yeah. yeah. So I, that, for like a year, like it took me so, I don't get that up in arms anymore because I don't know, maybe this has just kind of dulled everything for me doing what I've done the past 10 years. But that was the last loss where I was like, that like this, this hurts, this sucks. So, I mean, Kyle Williams didn't do it on purpose. So, I mean, you know, Certainly. he's, that's, that's off, you know, I guess 10 years later, I kind of feel for the guy. If you got to walk through life, like, kind of a huge playoff goal like that. But at the time it was, um, let me tell you what, it was not a good like year mentally for Al Sacco. <laughs> that, that season was such a, just like out of nowhere surprise season that mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, it was awful. Like it was awful. And I still remember it. And, and you know, I'm, am I over it? I'm not over any time when they could have gone to the Super Bowl and didn't, but it just felt like, well, were we even really supposed to be here anyway? Probably not, right? Like, that's kind of the attitude that I had. And then, you know, then they go the next year and, uh, you know, and and make it all the way. But, uh, but man, that was – and you know what? The 49ers haven't had a good punt returner, and I can't tell you how long. And they still Ted don't. Again, right? Ted Ted again, maybe? Last one, yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Ted. Yeah. Ted was good. It was like 10 Ted years ago, but it wasn't, but you know, he was a mercenary, you know, he, he came from, uh, what was it? Miami. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, man, that was, that's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It, imagine being, a, I was gonna say, it's tough to lose a game like that on special teams. And then I was like, imagine being a Packers fan in, uh, last season Yeah, <laughs> with the blocked, with the blocked, uh, punt. By the way, Jordan Willis, he... by the way. See ya. Yes. Uh, thanks thanks was, for the memories, bud. Yeah. What, what a what a great moment, by the way, that, that Jordan Willis blocked punt for touchdown. We will remember that forever. And it's a shame that he didn't cap that off with the Super Bowl victory. But I will say this. So, yeah. by the way, the, the last player to return a punt for a touchdown was Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn. Yes. And Has it been that long? Really? Yeah. yeah. Yep. In oh, wow. 2011. He was yeah. It was against Seattle. I remember that game against Seattle. He returned a he returned a kick and a punt for a touchdown that game. And basically it was week one, right? Himself. Yeah, it was week one. And yeah, uh, that was the last guy. And, and Ted Ginn had a knee injury against uh, against uh, that he suffered in that Saints game prior to the 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 championship game, and uh, he was not able to play. And Kyle Williams went out there, and so he so the first one, it's okay. You mess up once okay, it's fine. It's a big moment. Like uh, there, we've seen this tons of times, right? I blame Jim Harbaugh more than I blame Kai Williams or the, the special sure. teams coach. Cause you shouldn't have been out there the second time you shouldn't. And, and if you were out there, fair catch the damn thing. You're not, you're not allowed to return any more punts, right? I just want you out there to fair catch it. So they don't down it with, inside the five. Yard. That's it. Just play it safe. Yeah. I don't want you returning any more punts this game. And he let, he left him out there and, and it burned him. And that will, Kai Williams will forever, be the guy that's associated with one of the lowest moments in 49ers playoff history. He that will he will never ever shake that. Despite the fact that he was on the team the next year too when when Kaepernick yeah. was, was the quarterback and he was he was 
he made some he made some nice plays in the next year as well but he will forever be associated with that and i just i just can't fathom how you let a player back on the field after muffing one punt and then let him return another punt in a tight game that's just it's just unbelievable but we will we, there's one thing that i think i i do want to give honorable mention to for worst moves of all time if we're talking about that game going into that game with Brett Swain and Joe Hastings as two of your uh, your starting receivers, your slot and your wide receiver two. You were, they went one for thirteen on third down. They had Crabtree, Brett Swain, and Joe Hastings as their as their wide receivers, their top three, and Kyle Williams was wide receiver four. Just a and murderers, one for thirteen. Bro. You're not going to win the even if they got past the Giants. You're not going to win the Super Bowl with that receiving core. You're not going to. And and Alex Smith was had a, had a really nice year that year, but he was still like trying to find his way back. And he was not the Alex Smith that, that we saw in Kansas city and years on. So yeah, just, just a, just a really terrible decision by Balky to, to even roll with that receiving group. Vernon Davis was a beast in the playoffs. He was though. a beast. He was, he was he unbelievable. Was yeah. It's unbelievable. All right. Yeah. And the next two kind of go together and I could do a whole show on these firing Jim Harbaugh and hiring Jim Tom Sula. <laughs> so here's here, here was the thing with that. And this, Actually, my comments on this on this era of 49ers football got me in a lot of trouble, which I'll mention that after. Um, but I, it's not that they fired Jim Harbaugh, because I think Harbaugh, it got to the point, even some players kind of it wasn't good in the locker room. And Harbaugh's nuts, man. And I just think it got to the point where the marriage was over. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that they got rid of Harbaugh. It's what they did after they got rid of Harbaugh. Right. It's that they hired Jim Tomsula. In hindsight, they probably should have kind of tried to just keep the train rolling and just promoted Vic Fangio. That's probably what they should have done. But they go with Tom Sula. We thought they were going to hire Adam Gase. There's all this weird stuff. And then the team just goes into the toilet. So it wasn't that they fired Harbaugh. It was that what they did after it. And Al Sacco made some comments um, on the radio that got apparently got back to the team um, that one day I'll tell that story. About uh, the job, the job that was offered and that never was by the 49ers because uh, your boy ran his mouth about the owner. But that's 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 for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's I'm how I feel that about story. that. So I'm excited for that story. One day, one day I will. Well, and not, and not only that, but like to hire Tom Sula and then recognize immediately after one season, oh, we messed up, and then to just hire Chip Kelly and you're like, oh my god, like what are we doing? And that's, and, and to me that, that is, that is all bulky, right? Like that is all Trent bulky and, you know, and, you know, thankfully uh, Jed York finally saw the light, got rid of bulky, brought in Shanahan and Lynch and, you know, the, the franchise is in such a better place than it was during those two seasons. The, uh, the, the dark times, if you will, but yeah, it just, I mean, Tom Sula was a great character. It'd be like, it would be like, I mean, it would be exactly like if they fired Kyle Shanahan and promoted Chris Kasurik, who, I mean, I love Chris Kasurik and and he wouldn't want that job to begin with. He doesn't even want a defensive coordinator role, but it's just like, what, like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? You have sustained success for four seasons and now you're going to hire this guy who's never coordinated in the NFL, let alone been a head coach. He's been a head coach in NFL Europe, but it's like, what? It just, it always felt like, it it just felt like the ownership was like, we just want somebody that we don't have to even worry about butting heads with us. 
and they brought him in and then they went, Oh, turns out you've got to be a good coach in order to be a coach in the NFL. So, you know, kudos for figuring it out quick, but then again, turning around and hiring chip Kelly, but then kudos for turning around quick and recognizing your error and, you know, bringing somebody else in. So, uh, but yeah, that was a, those were dark times. Those were dark, dark times. The 49ers, or specifically the Yorks and their track record of hiring head coaches since C. Mariucci left, uh, it was Dennis Erickson, never got another NFL job. Mike Nolan, as head coach, Mike Nolan, never got a head coaching job after that. Mike mm-hmm. Singletary, never had, never got a head coaching job after that. Jim Harbaugh, which was, I mean, he never got a job. If he wants one, he can get it, but he never got a job after that. Jim Tomsula, can never he got though? a job after Can't- that. Do do you, I, that's actually, I don't know the answer to that question because I feel like this was the time for him to get one and he didn't, there were so many different opportunities, including Indianapolis, including Denver. You know, there were plenty of opportunities. Do we think that he's the one that was like, nah, never mind? Or is the NFL kind of like, I don't really want Jim back. I don't know. I don't know that Mm -hmm. answer. That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. We should absolutely do a show on that or like a, a segment on the show on that. So oh, yeah, yeah I, 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 talk, I, think, I think that it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really, you know what? We will do a segment on that. But uh, <laughs> so, so Tom Sula was next. He never got another head coaching job. Chip Kelly never got a head, another head coaching job. So that's seven coaches that they've hired and fired that never got second head coaching jobs. So firing Jim Harbaugh with that track record makes it extra stupid because he took you to three straight championship games. And while, Jed York famously said, we raised championship banners here and, and as justification to fire him. Really what it was was a mismatch of personalities between Jim Harbaugh, Trem Balky, and other people in the building, right? We, we can agree mm-hmm. on one thing, and that's Jim Harbaugh's personality over a course of time is great, right? He's not, he's not like a people yeah. person. He's not a guy that is, is very likable over a long period of time. He just doesn't have those people skills. And we, we've known them about this about him. But that being said, if you're going to fire him, Replace him with someone better and not the janitor. That's just, it's, that is an all-time bad coaching hire to this point, even to this day, where the national media will point to that and be like, wow, I can't believe the 49ers did that. And that's not something you want to be known for. And it was, it was, it was a terrible time. But look, it netted us Kyle Shanahan. So at the end of the day, like, I mean, I would say that butterfly effect, this, this was the, the path they were given. And it may not have netted us Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and Adam Peters, and Martin Mayhew, who has since moved on. Gary Plummer, Gary, we talked about the coaches. Gary Plummer told me when we interviewed him on the show, and I mean, it was 2018, he told me that Denise stepped in and hired Kyle Shanahan. Said it was Denise. Yeah. She had enough of being embarrassed, and she stepped in and, and hired Kyle Shanahan. So that's yeah. what Gary told me. Um, DeBartolos. DeBartolos don't suffer fools. I love it. Yeah, that's that's what it was. So didn't, didn't they fight? Did they fire Gary Plummer from the they, – they Wasn't he the radio announcer and they – Tim Ryan took yeah. his job, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I feel your pain there, Gary. Um, anyway, at least he, he worked for them for a little while before they got rid of him. But anyway, um, so trading for OJ Simpson was number three. Oh, I got so much to say. Um, so this was in 1978 and uh, none of us were alive. I don't think um, the Niners traded their second round pick, their third round pick in 1978, their first and fourth round pick in 1979 a 1982nd rounder to acquire Simpson and the 1979 oh first God. rounder would become the number one overall pick. Oh my God. That was really bad. Oof. And OJ was done at the time and it was a terrible trade. And, and he did yeah, pre, pre Walsh, the pre Walsh 49ers were an absolute embarrassment. <laughs> like, let's be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. 
that was not they were not a they were not a good franchise they were not a model franchise like they are now and all right o- number four OJ, oj did it that's all i'll say that's all i'll say about that. <laughs> he did it 100 drafting jim drunken miller instead of jake Plummer. Mm-hmm. it was a bad one but i don't know that that would have been i mean i don't know that Plummer would have become a great quarterback yeah, i think jake Plummer was jake Plummer, but they would have been he could have been starter for them for sure but um i don't know that that really destroyed the franchise type thing i think the aaron Rodgers example that zane gave was probably the worst one of the quarterbacks but listen jim drucker miller could pull a car so obviously <laughs> that's the pick that's the pick guys that was that was an awful pick and jake Plummer, he took a couple of years to get going in arizona remember in 99 he beat dallas in dallas in the playoffs right so mm-hmm. he he was able to knock them out and i think that that's what they were hoping to see bill walsh was at this time remember he was he was very involved in the front office and this is when I, they brought back Dwight Clark as well to be in the front office. It was he like was the GM. Much, Walsh uh, was the GM. Thing and, and Walsh was the GM. Yes, he was the GM. Yeah. And he made that pick because he thought that Jim Druckenmiller could be the guy, although he he also favored Jake Plummer as well. And it was almost, as I understood, like a coin flip. And it became a Druckenmiller. And that was, that was just an awful pick. Yeah, it was tough. And then the last one, and Mark, this is a, I'm glad we got to go over this. This was a great article. We'll have to tag him on this when we do the show. It was a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, the last one was firing Steve Mariucci. And now after 2002, the Niners were getting old. They were about to have some cap issues. But I remember, again, it wasn't that they fired Mooch. It's what they did after. So I remember thinking, okay, I like Mooch. But sometimes you just run, things just run their course. Sure. So I remember thinking at the time they had – they had the great win against the Giants in the playoffs where they came back and then they get killed by, by the Tampa Bay team that won the Super Bowl. But was that the, was that I, the Trey Junkin game? Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Where they came back and they like the field goal and they pulled yeah. the guy down and everything else. Yep. It was crazy. It was one of the funnest games ever. It was yep. awesome. But um, I thought at the time, okay, they're going to go hire a 49ers guy, Denny green, something like that. that they have a plan. I remember thinking mm-hmm. like, and then mm-hmm. as I was like, Oh, they don't have a plan. They're hiring Dennis Erickson. They don't know what the hell they're doing. And this team's going to be awful. And it was a really long time before they got good again. So it Terry wasn't Donahue so much. was not a good GM. No, 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 no. <laughs> so it wasn't so much they moved on from Mooch. It was what they did after they moved on from Mooch. Right. Same thing with Harbaugh, right? Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, man. That was that fun. Dennis Erickson, Terry Donahue uh, era was another one that they- was a dark, dark times. They they fired Mooch for losing to the eventual Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which John Lynch, by the way, was a part of, obviously. But yeah. they fired him after a playoff loss, a divisional playoff loss on the road because why? Because, I mean, I don't even know why to this day they fired him. Yeah, it was, it was a, the beginning of a dysfunctional era for sure for them. So it was a little, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that too this offseason. It'll be fun topics, man. Talk about the dark days and all that stuff. It'll be good. It'll be good. All right, guys. I want to talk about Feliciano, but we'll do it next show, I guess. It's the yeah, offseason, sure. so it'll be good to have something to talk about. That's so right. we'll lead yeah, off with that next show. For Brian and Zane, this is Al. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Later. Twenty four hundred sports is an Odyssey company.